would like to sincerely welcome you to our assembly this morning. Our goal is to lift up God and praise and adore Him as our Creator and to love and serve our Savior, Jesus Christ. A second objective is to be built up ourselves in the most holy faith. Today I want to speak to you about the tears of Paul. Our main text for this study will be from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. I would like to ask everyone that would like to, to open a Bible. This is several verses, and it's going to be what we're uh, concentrating on for the most part this morning. Before we turn to those passages and begin to look at that context, I want to set the foundation for where we're at in Scripture. The book of Acts of the Apostles is a fast-moving account of the spread of the gospel for about 30 years following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke inspires us with the spread of the gospel beginning at Jerusalem and then to the far reaches of the Roman Empire by the end of the book. At times in his historical account, he stops to teach us what kind of doctrine, what kind of preaching, and what kind of leadership was behind this amazing advancement of the kingdom of God. Beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus is converted to Christ. He becomes the Apostle Paul. And as we move from chapter 8 through the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul becomes a more prominent character to the point in the end of the book, it's, it's a history of his work. In fact, the conversion of Paul is recorded in three different chapters in Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 25. We have an account given in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, where Christ spoke to Ananias, who was to go and interact with Paul about his work, what he needed to do to be converted, and about his work in the kingdom. Let's read these words of Christ. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. These words of Christ were a type of prophecy that would set the course for Paul's work from his conversion forward. He was the most fierce appoint, uh, opponent of Christ before he was converted, and then we find afterward that he was the most fierce proponent to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. These words of Christ are important because we see Christ or Paul's life unfold in this very way. And we see that Paul often did suffer because of the things that he carried forth in his work within the kingdom. But not only do we learn of Paul in the book of Acts, but we learn of him in these 14 books that are contained in our New Testament that come after the book of Acts. In fact, we find that about 28% of the New Testament was penned at the hand of Paul. 
Now, I know there's some controversy about the book of Hebrews, and some believe that possibly Barnabas or Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews, but regardless, it was heavily influenced by Paul. And so if we look at the whole New Testament, we find 27 books with some 180,000 words. The Old Testament has some 780,000 words. So the New Testament it would take about three of them to make up the Old Testament. But the, the New Testament and its 27 books are 180,000 words, and these 14 books that Paul wrote are about 50,200 words. So that tells us that the New Testament, to a great, greater degree than any other one author, was penned by the Apostle Paul. This allows us to learn about a lot about Paul, a lot about his nature, a lot about his theology, a lot about what he felt within himself. Certainly he is a spokesman of God who delivers a very important message, not only to the first century church, but for all of us today. And one of these messages is what we want to consider momentarily. Paul's ministry can be split up into three missionary journeys and then his final journey to Rome. What we're going to concentrate on from Acts chapter 20 happened in his third missionary journey. We're going to blow this map up a little bit and we'll notice that this purple color was his third missionary journey. When we go to Acts chapter 19, we find that Paul would go to Ephesus, that he would spend the first three months pleading with the Jewish community about the kingdom of God, but then that opposition would be so intense that it would move him out of the synagogue. And the Bible tells us in verse 8 of Acts 19 that Paul spent over two years in the school of Tyrannus. During this time, the word of the Lord grew mighty, mightily and prevailed. God did many miracles of healing with even Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his body being carried to those that were ill or possessed, and these things having the power of God within them. People were delivered from witchcraft. We're told at one point there, that evil books were thrown in a pile, and these books were over, worth over 50,000 pieces of silver, estimated to be something like $10,000. These were all evil books that Paul taught against, and these books were burned because of his influence of evangelism in this city of Ephesus. Paul's success was so great that the silversmiths who made the shrines for the goddess Diana feared that their businesses would be ruined, and so they set in motion a riot. And we read about that riot in the last part of Acts 19. And because of this riot, Paul, after th three years, give or take, was forced to leave Ephesus and to move on. He goes down or goes through Macedonia, down into Greece, and spends three winter months in Corinth. He heads back up to Macedonia in the spring and crosses over to Troas, and he sails toward Jerusalem. And you can see right in the center 
of this map is the city of Ephesus, and right south of it is the city of Miletus. This boat came into the harbor of Miletus, and Paul sent a message to the Ephesian elders to travel from Ephesus to Miletus and to meet him because he had something very important that he wanted to share with them. The fact that Paul goes to this much trouble to give this message to the elders of the church, to do that personally, the fact that Luke paused in his historical account of what was happening and records these words for us, I believe make these words very meaningful. This section of Scripture shows us a lot about Paul's heart, about his view of leadership, and what was of the greatest concern for him. And we're going to find in this passage three different times that tears are mentioned with regard to these words that Paul shared with the Ephesian elders. Sometimes people want to know how to study the Bible, and I was looking at some polls among Christians, and that was one of the number one things that they wanted to, to know, how to study the Bible. And we've talked before about when we look at a topic in the Bible, we need to take everything that's stated about that. We need to leave it in context. We need to let the Bible be its own dictionary. We need to set aside our ideas and look at what the Bible says if we're going to have a clear understanding. That's one way that we can study about a topic. But there's also expository teaching that we find in God's Word. Like this sermon or these instructions that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. Right here in this set of verses, we have a complete message of instructions for Christian living. And we can go to these different places where the Bible records these sermons and we can study these closely. We can break down the meaning and I believe that we can gain in our understanding about what God wants from us. And so we want to take an exercise in doing that this morning. The events of Acts 20 are in roughly A.D. 57. The beginning of Acts was in A.D. 33 or so. As I mentioned, it covers about 30-year period of time. So this is actually coming more toward the end of the time that the book of Acts covers. We're going to read together then from Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. I ask you to open your Bibles to kind of follow this text because we're going to be moving in and out of the text. It's going to be up on the screen for you, and we're going to try to highlight the different parts of the text that we want to look at. But we've divided it up into four main parts. And the first part of this passage, we find verse 17 tells us exactly who Paul was speaking to. It gives us the specific context We've looked at the larger context, and now we come down and we look at to verse 17, and we see that these words are being shared with the Ephesian elders. And then in verse 18, 
we begin a series of where Paul talks about how he had lived his life as an example before the congregation at Ephesus. Also before the elders of the congregation at Ephesus. And he says, I have showed you two different places in this narrative between verses 18 and 38 Paul speaks about that he showed them how to live the Christian life. And when we look at his account of what he did in front of them, we don't need to just think about it as he having a memory about what his life was like in Ephesus, but we need to understand that he's saying, I live this way as an example to show you how to live. And when we see that, we as Christians today need to take admonition to live in the very same way. And I want you to know that there's a comprehensive sermon right here in verses 18 through verse 21 that talk about a dedicated Christian life. I know this is speaking to the elders, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we move forward through the text. But the general context would apply to any Christian. What do we need to do in our lives to be a servant and a minister within the kingdom of Christ? Verse 35 is the other place in this context moving forward where Paul said, I have showed you all things. Paul was a mentor he didn't just say, do what I say. He said, do what I do. He lived all of this before them in example. And this is the way that we powerfully influence other people to live their lives for Christ. Not just by telling them to do it, but by showing it. So as we move forward in this text, we're going to see 14 different things that are indicated in these verses. Number one, in verse number 18, he says, From the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Paul spent, he mentions, about three years in Asia. And he said, From the first day I got there until the last day when I left, in season, out of season, he said, I was steadfast in the way that I taught you and the way that I exemplified the Christian life. Number two, in verse 19, he says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. One of the foundational characteristics of being a minister within the service of the kingdom of Christ is to be humble. We are all ministers. We are all servants. We are all vessels that are to be used to forward the purpose of Jesus Christ. And to be productive in that way, we have to be humble. Paul was an apostle. Paul wrote 28% of the New Testament. Paul was specifically designated to go to the Gentiles. Christ came to him personally on the road to Damascus. He was a Pharisee of the highest order. He would have had a lot of things to be proud about, and yet he lived his life and he served within the church from humility. The next thing that is stated, he says, with many tears. This indicates a deep care for other people. When we are emotionally touched 
because of what other people need to the point that we're brought to tears, that shows that we are serving from the heart. And as we speak this morning, we will look more to the tears of Paul and what touched him the most deeply that caused him to weep when it came to the members of the church. Not only those of Ephesus, but of all of the churches that he worked with. This is the first of three in this passage where we see tears are mentioned. The next thing is temptations. And in this text, it's talking about the trials that Paul faced. We said he tried to teach the Jews in Ephesus, and they aggressively attacked him and pushed him out of the synagogue. He was sent out of Ephesus because of a riot. He faced many trials, many temptations, not just in Ephesus, but in a lot of places within his ministry in the kingdom of Christ. He faced these trials with courage. He said, the Jews were lying in wait for me. That didn't stop Paul. He might have changed where he was teaching, maybe the, the method that he was using, but he continued to courageously teach the gospel. In verse 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. There's different types of ways that we are to teach God's Word. Teaching is one thing where we furnish people information to make good decisions, but a proclamation is something different. A proclamation is an official declaration by a person of authority. It carries more weight than just sharing information. And Paul, through his authority as an apostle, proclaimed God's Word over and over again. He did not keep back anything that would be profitable to those who were listening to him. We need to be those who announce, those who declare, those who proclaim the Word of Jesus Christ by whose authority? By the authority given from the Holy New Testament where we are taught what we must do to follow the will of God. Paul not only proclaimed, but as we've already noted, he lived an exemplary life before them. He taught them, as well as proclaiming, the, the reference says, and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul did not limit himself to one type of teaching. He says, I taught you publicly and privately. Today in our religious environment, we emphasize public teaching. We think it's very, very important that we have a polished orator to get up and teach us God's Word. And I wonder sometimes if we emphasize the public part to discount or minimize the private part. Paul was very as much effective teaching people privately as he was publicly, and he took every opportunity to do both. Are we developing our abilities to teach others privately? Do we want to sit down with people and share with them the Word of God, the story of Jesus Christ and His power? If we're going to do that, we have to prepare for it. We have to be deliberate about it, as Paul was in this example. Paul brought intensity 
to what he taught to the Ephesians. He said, I testified. Again, proclamation, teaching, testimony. These are all different ways that we use our abilities to forward the message of Jesus Christ. He was impartial with his message. He said, I have taught the Jews as well as the Greeks. Sometimes we are willing to talk and share with those that we're friends with or our group, the ones we might represent. Are we impartial with the way that we share God's Word? Are we willing to take it anywhere to anyone that's willing to listen? That's the example that Paul gave us as we serve in his kingdom. And the last two are repentance toward God and faith. We know these are foundational teachings that we have to deliver to people so that they can turn away from evil and they can turn to Christ. In faith, in obedience, determining to serve Christ. I ask you to look at this comprehensive list, this power-packed message that Paul gives to the elders at Ephesus and how that we can take the principles of these teachings and we can apply them to our lives. We read in Acts 20, verse 17, verse 20, I'm sorry, beginning now or going now to, to verse 22 through verse 25, which is the next section here. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We're going to come back and look at verse 25 in a moment. But here we find in verse 22 and 23 that Paul speaks about his persecution. This writing was done, uh, as I mentioned earlier, approximately A.D. 57. He was brought into the church back in Acts chapter 19, uh, somewhere around A.D. 35. So Paul had been working and in his ministry for over 20 years at this point. And he talks about even with everything that he had endured, that he was not afraid, that he did not worry about the persecution that would come to him. In fact, he says in verse 24, these things do not move me. We're going to see that Paul shed tears, but it was not for himself. It wasn't because of the things that he faced spiritually with, or physically within his spiritual work in the kingdom of Christ. There was something else that was more important. We turn to 2 Corinthians 11 and begin our reading in verse number 23. And by the way, this was written, written in A.D. 56, Paul said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths more oft, in deaths oft. 
Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches, of all the churches. Can we imagine persecution to this level? Paul said he was beaten five times by the Jews, three times by rods. He was stoned and left for dead. He willingly boarded a ship, and he knew all along that that ship was going to sink in the ocean. He spent this time in the ocean. He was hot, he was cold, he was naked, he was hungry. All of these things happened to the Apostle Paul, and yet when we read his words in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, what did he say? These things do not move me. What courage, what boldness, what strength that he exemplified in his ministry of Jesus Christ. On his continued journey after he left Ephesus being run out of town by right, he traveled down to the, the city of Caesarea, and we read in an account there the very next chapter, verse number 13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of of the Lord Jesus. Agabus, a prophet from Judea, Judea, predicted that Paul, if he traveled a little bit further to Jerusalem, would be bound. And Paul said, why are you weeping for me? He said, I'm ready to be bound and even to die for the Lord's sake. Paul's greatest concern was not for himself or for his persecution. These are not the things that brought him to tears. We read in verse 25, or repeating verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In this text, we have Paul crying, but right here in these words, we have him expressing joy. Joy that he would be able to finish his ministry serving his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. This was another situation here, and one of the reasons Paul wanted to visit with these elders personally is because he knew that this was the last time that he was going to see them. And he told them that. This was a point of concern and of sorrow for Paul, but this is really not what brought Paul to tears. We're going to see in the next set of verses what was of the greatest concern to Paul. 
Verse 26, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to over the flock, to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul changes the subject in verse 26. And his subject becomes the fact that he's concerned about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And he makes a statement here in verse 26 that I am pure from the blood of all men. Why could he make that statement? If we back up in the text, we see that he said, I have not failed in bringing you everything that you needed to know to follow God. Paul informed the Ephesians. He gave them what they needed to be strong in Christ. And he says, I am not going to be counted for the blood of men. I am pure from that. If we go to Exodus, Ezekiel 33 and we look at these passage, this passage, I believe Paul was referring back to this. This is a passage that was stated or instructing the elders of Israel. It says in verse 7, So thou, son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth, and warn them from me. As we start talking about leaders within the church, we're going to see that one of their main responsibilities is to feed the church, as is stated here in Acts 20, but to also guard the church, to protect them, to warn them of things that, they are in danger of suffering. And that's what the elders of Israel were to do. Verse 8 says, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at thine hand. God is very specific here. If it's our duty to warn and we fail to warn and someone is destroyed, then their blood will be held accountable to our hand. But the next verse says, If we warn the wicked of his way, if he does not turn from it, he dies in that iniquity, thou hast delivered thy soul. And I believe this is the attitude that Paul was expressing, that he'd given them all that they needed to be followers of God, to stay, to stay strong. Part of what he's doing right now is warning them again. And we're going to see that in these next verses. He says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, here are words that were written just a few years later. Sometime around A.D. 60, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to see in that letter that many of the things that he summarized and spoke to those elders, he wrote them to reinforce, to remind them of the very same things. And he talked to them about the doctrine of Christ. I want to read a short excerpt from Ephesians chapter 4. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul is still warning 
them about doctrine, isn't he? If you go back to the first verse of Ephesians 14, you're going to see Paul cover a whole list of things. Things like the unity of the church, things like humility, long-suffering, forbearance. He comes on down in the chapter, verses 11 and 12, he talks about those that are leading the church and how it's their responsibility to, do the, to equip the saints to do the work of the church. And then he goes right into this idea. We can't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's important that we follow the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that we need to speak the truth in love, that we need to mature, that we need to grow up. In the latter part of this passage, to increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Every person within the body needs to do its part so that we can speak the truth in love, so we can warn one another, so we can encourage one another. And what is the main problem that Paul keeps coming back to? The doctrine of Jesus Christ. You know, today when I hear Christians talk I hear them talking negatively about doctrine. And they're saying, you know, the most important thing is that we love one another. That's how we live the Christian life. Christianity is about living. It's not about obeying. As long as we love other people and we try to be a good person, then that's all that matters to God. That is not a biblical message that is not what Paul sheds tears over in this passage that we're looking at this morning. He said, you don't need to be tossed to and fro. You need to be true to doctrine. What does the word doctrine mean? It means teaching or instruction. Everything that we find in the New Testament wherein we are instructed, we are to look at that as doctrine and we are to strive our best to be obedient unto it. You know, in Matthew 7, when Christ finished the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says they were amazed at His doctrine. That word doctrine covered everything that He taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And today people want to say, we don't want doctrine. Doctrine causes division. Doctrine causes conflict. Doctrine causes war. We need to love each other. And as long as we're sincere, we need to be tolerant and accept everybody, no matter what they believe. I hear members of the Church of Christ saying, well, that's really not a salvation issue. Yeah, the Bible says it, but it's really not a salvation issue. It's not a matter of whether we're going to be saved or not. I tell you this morning, if the Bible says it, if it's an instruction for Christians today, it's a part of the doctrine. And it's important. And this is what Paul had on his mind as he shed tears on this occasion. Did Paul speak this just to one congregation? Of course not. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17 says, He taught the same thing everywhere in every church. And we could stack up scriptures where Paul taught this. He taught it in Galatians 1, 6-9. This was earlier in his service or ministry. He wrote the book of Galatians, and he is very specific. This written in A.D. 49. 
I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he uses some of the strongest language that we can find in the Bible in verse number 8. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And look what he does in verse 9. He repeats the same words of verse 8 for emphasis. There's not very many times in Scripture where the exact same words are repeated over again. And this is the case, a case right here in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 9. What did Paul teach those that he was training to be disciples? What did he teach those that he were, was training to be evangelists in the church? What did he say to Timothy about the importance of doctrine? In chapter one of first, or chapter four of verse Timothy, verse one, he says, "There's doctrines of devils. Doctrines are plural when they're applied to the devil or, but, or to men, but they're singular when they're applied to God. And he puts this on Timothy's instruction list. Beware, there's doctrines of devils. In verse 6, he says, Nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. Verse 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto doctrine. As I said, we could go on and on and on about how doctrine is emphasized in the Word of God. And I want to tell you this morning as we consider the end of this passage, we're going to be able to see very clearly that this is the thing that brought Paul to tears. His persecution didn't do it. His separation brought sorrow, but the thing that mattered to him most was this issue of doctrine. As he spoke specifically to these elders, what did he tell them? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He brings the value of the church to the greatest maximum of anything that we can think of. Purchased with the blood of Christ. And he says, you've been called by the Holy Ghost to oversee, to feed, and to protect this flock. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. Specifically to elders of the church, we are to protect the doctrine of the church. As Paul taught Titus about qualifications of elders, we turn to Titus 1 and we look at verse 9 through 11. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things with they, which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. This is a very serious matter. 
Do we weep about false doctrine? Do we shed tears because people are being taken away from Jesus Christ by enemies of the cross? Paul said, watch. And then his strongest statement, verse 31, that I believe is pivotal to the tears of the Apostle Paul is that he said, I cease not to warn you night and day with tears. Another context where Paul cried, Philippians 3, 18 and 19, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, whose, who mind earthly things. Do we see the emphasis? Do we see the issue? Are we willing to be taught? Sometimes we say real men don't cry. And weeping is a weakness. Yet here is the strongest, the most courageous, the one that faced death without blinking, the one that said these things in this life do not move me, and he's crying because of his love for the people of God and how they're going to be protected or not protected, how they're going to be taught or not taught the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible never records Christ laughing? As far as I know, it doesn't even mention that He ever smiled. But we have a record that He cried. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't find a record of Paul laughing in the Scriptures. I'm not saying, don't, don't take away the wrong idea. We have joy, we have peace, we have fulfillment, and we should show that joy every day as Christians. But what about taking lightly something that's serious? If you run a reference on the word laugh, you're going to find it a few times in the Scriptures. More times than not, it's from the negative. For instance, Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6, 25, Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. The Bible says in Luke 10, 21, that Jesus rejoiced in spirit. So I'm not trying to say that there's not a time and a place for laughing. In fact, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. But Solomon also said it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. It's better to be serious about what's important to God than it is to be somewhere laughing and enjoying the finer things of life. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4. But here Paul is weeping. Here's the serious thing about his life that concerns him more than anything else. We want to read through the end of the chapter. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up 
and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Paul says the Word of God's important. He says you can be built up by the Word of God. He's going on to admonish them with some other points. And then he mentions that his motive for doing the work in the kingdom was not because of that he coveted or that he wanted something from them, but he was there to serve others. That he served them with his own hands, verse 34, to the necessities of life. And then he says at the end of verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember, we've already looked at the first part of this verse. He showed it to them by the way that he lived, not only by the what he said, but what, what he did. And he labored in a physical sense to support the weak because this is what he knew he needed to do to serve the Lord. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul prayed for them. Again, a mighty example. We need to pray. Taught recently from the pulpit about the importance of prayer. Paul exemplified this here. Verse 37 and 38, I believe we're told basically how these elders responded to what Paul told them. They were very sorrowful. They weeped because they understood that they wouldn't see Paul again. The end of this message shows us how, his, how Paul's love exhibited itself for these brothers in Christ. He was touched because he wouldn't see them again. But he hoped to see them again in heaven. Eternal things are more important than temporal things because for this very reason. We never know what our last day is going to be, when it will be the last time that we see someone. But if we implement these principles and these teachings from this instructive passage of Paul, we'll be able to be prepared to meet our God in the judgment. Have you ever thought about what you would say to your loved ones if you knew it was your last time to see them? What words would you choose to share with them? I remember Brother W.A. Marshall was in the last days of his life. He's a gentleman that served as an elder of this congregation. We were a young couple, Diana and I, and we went to the hospital to visit him. And I remember he cleared the room and he asked Diana and I to come into the room and he shared some very specific things. He talked to us about preparing ourselves to serve in the church, how important the kingdom was, how important spiritual things were over temporal things. And you know, that made an impression on both of us. He loved the church. That was what was on his mind. That's, what, that's the words that he chose to spoke the last time that he would be able to see us.
a similar setting to Paul, who was reduced to tears because of the enemies of Christ and how that people's lives would be destroyed when they were carried away from Christ through false teaching. What if today was your last day? What would you say before you went? Would you have lived a life to exemplify and to encourage the words that you left by the way that you have lived? These are serious questions, and and we don't like to talk about the last time we're going to see somebody. But that's the exact setting. That's the setting that Solomon said was more important than the fun things in life is to make this consideration. How important is it to us that we're right with God? Today's the day of salvation. If we haven't started our walk with Christ, we need to do that. If we've grown lax in our commitment to God and being a servant in His kingdom and developing the characteristics that we've looked at this morning, we need to rededicate ourselves and make sure that important things are important to us. If we can help anyone this morning... Please come forward if you need to be baptized or if you'd like the prayers of the church. Come as we sing the song of invitation.